Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. If you would like to participate in online worship, sermons, and children's programs, then check out the Renaissance Church at Home page at rendicator.org. Now, let's get started. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Pastor Jeff. We are filming in my office today because there's a lot of things happening over in the other building. Um, And I want to ask a question just as we get started here. Uh, What is something worth? My wife has recently been trying to purchase some airline tickets uh, to take a trip. And with everything that's happening with COVID-19 and airlines canceling flights, at one point, a flight to the destination that she was looking at was around $49. And then she went back like two days later and it doubled. It went up to like $90 or $100 or something. And then a couple days later, it went back down. (laughs) Things are constantly moving um, as far as pricing. When you think about the value or the worth of a toy that's in one Christmas, um, the price goes way up, but that that same toy at next Christmas, um, you could almost you could almost get it for free because nobody wants it. Um, and the same thing with like uh, cars. When you buy a new car, as soon as you drive it off of the lot, they say the value of that car goes down. So how how can we actually know what the value of something is? How can we actually know what something is worth? And this is a tough question that you and I have to wrestle with every day. And we're, we're typically looking at something's uh, temporary value um, or a lasting value. And if you and I were smart, we will try to organize our lives over those things that have lasting values, that have a lasting value for us, not the temporary things. And so um, Jesus, and this is what I was trying to drive home here, is Jesus shares two really short parables in Matthew chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Um, I'm going to be reading verses 44, 45, and 46. And here we see two parallel stories that Jesus tells as a way to emphasize the challenge that you and I have of determining um, the worth of something or the value of something or what should we uh, spend our money on, the the lasting things in our lives. Let me read these to you right here um, and then we'll go through them together. Jesus says in these parables that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and then covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and then buys that field. And again, Jesus continues, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought that pearl. Now, how we understand these two stories oftentimes influences how we understand who God is, how we see ourselves, and more importantly, how we are to live our lives. But I have to admit, um, I've learned that these parables are often misinterpreted. That when I asked even people here um, at church and the staff, you know, what they remember being taught about those parables when they were in in church and they were younger, it, it, it varies 
vastly from person to person. When I searched online to see how people were interpreting these parables, I, I saw as, as many different responses as I did videos that I watched. And I think there is a real way to understand what Jesus is intending in these parables. The standard interpretation that most people think about in these parables is that is that we are like the man or we are like the merchant who finds treasure in a field or finds that great pearl that's worth a lot of money and then we sell everything that we have and, and we go purchase it. And we treat that treasure like it's the kingdom of God. And so the idea is this, is that we take um, our whole lives and we say things like, well, I'm willing to give up my whole life so that I can have the kingdom of heaven or so that I can have the kingdom of God. But in this parable, we become the one who is seeking. We are the one who is finding. We are the one who is buying. But is this really what Jesus is trying to tell us? Is this really what Jesus is wanting us to understand? Maybe or maybe not. Just prior to these parables, Matthew tells us something. So I'm going to back up a few verses and read something out of Matthew 13, the same chapter. But he says this about Jesus and why he spoke in parables. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, verse 35 of chapter 13. I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter or explain that which has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Jesus is, this is a prophecy written about Jesus, you know, a thousand, 1500 years before he was speaking in these parables. And it says that the Messiah will open his mouth in parables and he will utter what has been hidden or explain what has been hidden since the creation of the world. And so maybe to look into the understanding of what this means, we have to go back to the creation of the world and see if we can gain some insight there. So back in my Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, we read this, verses 26 and 27. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all of the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. Skipping down here to verse 31, and it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So God created all of mankind in his image. The first man, Adam and Eve, were created in his image. And God saw everything that he had created, and it was very good. It's interesting, but the Hebrew word that's translated as good here could also be translated as precious, valuable, excellent, or pleasing. Genesis is trying to underline this for us. It's trying to under, underline the value that God saw in his people. All of creation was good. He created on day one, two, three, four, five. And he said after creating all of those things that they were good. When he created mountains and oceans, it was good. When he created the universe and the earth and the birds and all the creeping things that we just discussed, all of those things were good. But when he created mankind, he says it was very good. 
Now there's an illusion that you and I oftentimes fall prey to in our world that the value that we have um, in our lives is basically determined by our grades, our job performance reviews, our social media followers, our bank accounts, or our professions, or something like that. But this is not what the Bible is instructing us. L listen to this part again. The Bible is telling us that when God created us, he then looked at everything that he had created and said it is very good. Again, humans were created on the sixth day, and the seventh day we know was a day of rest, a day of Sabbath. So basically the people hadn't done anything yet. Adam and Eve had not done any producing, done any creating, done any multiplying, if you know what I mean, they haven't done anything, and yet they were called precious and valuable. You see, our value is intrinsic to not what we do, but rather who we are. Our value comes from the fact that, that you and I, we were created in the image of God. Now, I don't have a $100 bill to, to use this example for you, but I want you to picture a $100 bill in your mind. A $100 bill is the exact same size as a $1 bill. A $100 bill is almost the same color as a $1 bill. But the reason we know the $100 bill is worth more is because of the image that is on the front of it. If you have a bill that has a picture of George Washington, it's only worth a dollar. But if you have one that has a, a picture of uh, Benjamin Franklin, it's worth a hundred. And, and the point in sharing that story is that we have to understand that our value is found not in the things that we do, but in the image that's imprinted upon us. That we are created in the image of God. That's where our value comes from. So when we go back to the, the prophecy that was quoted back in Matthew here, let me find that. And it says that the Messiah, when he came, that he was going to um, open his mouth in parables and he would uh, uh, explain or utter those things that had been hidden since the creation of the world. We have an understanding of what Jesus is driving at here. He says, the Messiah will explain these things hidden. And then Jesus goes in to tell these two parables, a, a parable about hidden treasure, a, terrible about, a, a parable about an expensive pearl. And we see here that God has given us great value. We see that back in Genesis chapter 1. And so when it comes to these parables about something of value hidden in a field, we, we get the impression that God is actually talking about us, that we're the valuable one. But when, a, when the prophecy says that Jesus, the Messiah, is going to come and reveal those things that are hidden, where does the hidden part come into all of this? We turn our um, Bibles back to Genesis chapter 3 this time, and we see where the hidden part comes into play. You see, everything was good, as we've just learned on day five, six, and seven. All those things are very good. There's great value placed on mankind, and everything that God has created is, in fact, good. But at some point, Adam and Eve were tempted to disbelieve that the goodness of God was for them, that they, the serpent or the tempter came in and, and began, uh, caused them to mistrust the things of God, mistrust the things that he had said to them. And at some point, it says that they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They gave themselves over to experience evil. And I say that because of this, that the Hebrew word that's translated knowledge, it carries with it an experiential component to it. 
It wasn't as if Adam and Eve somehow then, after eating the forbidden fruit, had an understanding intellectually the difference between good and evil. But when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good, it implies that they entertained evil, that they gave the, themselves over to the experience of evil, that they lavished in the evil things. And Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 10 says this, And they, Adam and Eve, heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And Adam replied, Well, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid myself. See, the hiding comes from that fact there. God has given us the highest value by making us in his image. But when he comes looking for us, our false perception of him causes us to hide. Because we, Adam and Eve, and all of humanity has been tempted to believe that God isn't good, that God doesn't have his best interest for us, that he doesn't have his greatest joy for us, and that his love is always available to us, it is challenging us to, to disbelieve those things. We have this propensity to doubt God's love. So then the question is this, God who created everything and now has an Adam and an Eve, a mankind who's disbelieving in his great love, how is God going to renew his reputation with them? How is God going to remind Adam and Eve and all of us of his goodness? How is God going to shed his light and the darkness of our skeptical hearts. Maybe the most important question is, um, and how much will it cost him to do this? What is a thing worth? That's the question I asked when I first started talking today. It's basically worth what a person is willing to pay for it. Ask any realtor. If you ever called a, a realtor into your house, maybe professionally or even just as a friend, and says, what do you think my house is worth? I mean, they can put an estimate on it and they're good at that. They're real good at that. But I'm t here to tell you, your house is only worth what someone is willing to pay for it. In Jesus' other parables, whenever we see him talking about someone that is searching for something, something that is hidden or something that has been lost or something that's been covered over, it is never God who is the one that is hidden or lost or covered no, God is always the one doing the searching. Just like in Genesis chapter 3 when he's walking in the garden looking for Adam and Eve. God is the one that does the searching. Jesus even says about himself in Luke chapter 19 verse 10 that I have come to seek and save those who are lost. See, Jesus sees our value he sees our value as we are made in the image of God. And he sets aside all of his divine privileges. So I want you to remember this. Jesus has existed before he was born as a baby in a manger. Right? Jesus was there in creation. Jesus has always been. But what Jesus did is he set aside all of his divine privileges. He set, set aside all of the things that was due him because of his divine nature, his godship, if you will. And he set all of those things aside 
and he came to earth and was born as a baby and was laid in a feeding trough or a manger. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a man who sold everything to go purchase the one thing that he saw had great value. And that's the picture that Jesus wants us to see. Jesus did sell all of his possessions, if you will. He left behind heaven and came to earth in the form of a baby. And speaking of Jesus' birth in Luke's gospel, there's a recorded prophecy about Jesus after he was born. And it says this, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Speaking of Jesus, that Jesus has come and he has visited and redeemed his people. The Greek word that's translated in Luke as visited is, is maybe not the best word to be translated there. It, it, it's, a, it's a Greek word, and I, I try to look up the pronunciation, so forgive me if I screw this up, but it I think it's pronounced this way, episkepsado. That was terrible. Episkepsado. The Greek word is translated episkepsado. The front part, epi, means to move towards someone in help. And the the second part, skepsado, is where we get our English word skeptic. (laughs) Jesus is... His birth is recorded in Luke, and it says that the Lord God of all Israel, of the world, right, has come to, uh, has visited and redeemed his people. Jesus has come to move towards the skeptic. Jesus has come to move towards people like you and me who are skeptical to believe that God is, in fact, good, that he does have great joy for us, that he does, in fact, love us. And some of us need to remember that our value is not found in the things that we do, but is rather found in, in the image that we're made in. We are made in God's image, and that's why God places great love upon us. And that's why Jesus left everything behind to sell everything that he might come and redeem us and save us. To follow the rest of Jesus' life, we see that he taught many people, gathered disciples, and eventually he gave his life on a cross that he was willing to lay down his own life on a cross that you and I might be saved from our own sins. Jesus dies on a cross unnecessarily. He'd never sinned. He'd never broken any laws, but he was put to death. But he willingly gave his own life so that when he was raised from the dead, if you and I were to believe in that, then we could have a restored relationship with God that our skepticism on who we think God is and his goodness and the value of our own lives, thinking that it's based upon our own work and our own merit, all of that, that hogwash can be pushed aside and we can see that God sees value in us because of who we are. And he loves us because of who he is. And by grace, he has come to save us in Jesus. In these parables, I do not think we are the ones right, that um, are seeking to find this great treasure, the kingdom of God, that we might then give our lives away to attain that. No, I think we're the treasure in the field. I think we're the great pearl that the merchant sees. And when he saw it, he sold everything to come purchase it. I think God is the man 
who, who buys the field. I think God is the merchant who, who spends everything and it cost him the life of his only son, Jesus. My hope in sharing this with you is that we would get back to the, as I said even last week, that we'd find ourselves considering um, the, the basic elements or the rudiments or the building blocks of our faith. And, and I want us to understand that, that our salvation is truly hinging upon God's reaching out to us. God is the one who finds us. I always love that saying, you know, um, so tell me, tell me about the story of your life. Give me your testimony. When did you find Jesus? And it just, it's, it's backwards. I mean, I understand the heart of what people are saying, but it's backwards. I didn't find Jesus. <laughs> Jesus found me. I didn't go looking for God. God came looking for me, for it was me. I was the one who was hidden. I was hiding myself in, in shame and fear. I was the one hiding in the garden when, when God came looking for me. I was afraid he was gonna look at all the things that I had done and he was gonna say, no, 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 you're not good enough anyways. I was always afraid that maybe God would come and judge me. But what we're learning, and these are basic elements of our faith, is that God loves us and he forgives us in Jesus that the punishment of sin was actually placed upon his son so that you and I don't have to face judgment anymore. We are that pearl of great value. We are the treasure in a field. And God has sent Jesus, the man, to come and purchase us back for him. I just pray during these difficult times that we're experiencing that you be reminded of that. I know so many people are aching to come back to church, and, and I am too. And just so you know, we are taping this on Wednesday, the 27th. Um, I've already been involved in some Zoom calls with leadership, and we are discussing what it's going to look like to reconvene um, public gatherings. Right, So we're making progress towards that, and we'll be rolling out some of that stuff soon. But I know that many of you want to gather but I also deep down inside of my little pastoral heart, I begin to wonder if some of you don't just wanna gather because you feel like you can't have a relationship with God without doing religious things. That somehow your relationship is broken if you can't come to the building, if you can't take communion together, if we can't sing corporate worship songs. And I just want us to, to understand that our value is not found in the religious things that we do, but our value is intrinsic in us, that it is given to us because we are made in God's image. I look forward to meeting again. I look forward to singing and worshiping again. But if you're looking for those things to find value in your life, I'm here to say you'll, you'll always find yourself bankrupt. Those things will never produce the value that you're looking for. I wanna pray for us. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank you for everything that you've done. I thank you for the Bible that we can actually look at these uh, stories that reveal hidden things and that we can, through careful study, we can find that, that, um, that we're a treasure to you, that you really see us um, as valuable and you are willing to pay really the ultimate price by giving your son over 
um, over to death and to burial and to be raised again, that, that you might win us back, that you might heal and salve the skeptical heart, that we might turn back to you, to your goodness and your joy and your great love. God, I thank you for our time together. Would you continue to heal our world in regards to this COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic that we are in? God, just this week, we surpassed 100,000 deaths in the United States in just about three months. Lord, I ask in Jesus' name that this would just stop, that we would have no worry of going to grocery stores, no worry of going to uh, parks or graduation parties, and there'd be no worries to go back to church, Lord. I pray you bring comfort to us, that you eradicate this virus um, and that we can eventually come back together and find some um, sort of normalcy back in our lives. Father, we thank you for this great pause in our lives and we ask that the things that we're learning about ourselves and others, that we would carry in to the new life that we're going to soon experience. So I pray this time not be wasted, but God, I just pray that you be with us. We're all tired and weary in this, Lord, every one of us. So I just pray that you would come and you'd bring comfort to us. God, help us to, to love you where we are. Help us to serve you where we are. Help us to, to worship you where we are. God, we do love you. And we thank you that we are made in your image. We thank you that you find great value in us. And we thank you for your son, Jesus, who gave everything up so that you could have us back. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Renaissance podcast. I hope that God has spoken to you through this message and that you're encouraged to continue pursuing him. If you would like to get connected with what's going on here at Renaissance, then find us on social media or visit us online at rendicator.org. Remember to check out the Renaissance Church at Home page for online worship, sermons, and children's programs that are being offered during the COVID-19 outbreak.